Years ago in New York City, something very interesting happened. New York at the time was known to have problems with major crimes, shootings, armed robberies, murders and the like. But then the leaders decided they want to show they were serious about enforcing the law, and so they started to get more deliberate in issuing tickets for misdemeanors. Jaywalking, loitering, littering, and so on. And then something amazing happened. As the city cracked down on small crimes, the major crimes fell dramatically too. Sometimes keeping the finer points of the law has wider effects. And today on Groundwork, we will see that in a powerful way in the story of Ruth. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scriptures to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, this is now uh, program number three in a five-part Advent and Christmas series from the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter one. Matthew is trying to open up the imagination of his Jewish readers by presenting not just the standard family tree of Israel, but Matthew tucks some surprises into this family tree. Yeah, so for him to have women in the genealogy, I mean, genealogies are not new to Israelites. They're always tracing right. their history back to Abraham and the covenant people. But for Matthew to intentionally in pick these four women, and you mentioned in the other episode that he could have picked Rachel, he could have picked Leah, he could have picked anybody like that, but he did not pick Sarah. He, don't, he picked people who had these questionable, quote unquote, histories and past that were full of drama and challenge. And these were all non-Israelites. Uh, so we've already looked at Tamar and Rahab. So we've seen kind of Canaanite and, and Jerichoite, also a Canaanite. And eventually we're going to come to the story of Bathsheba, who's going to be a Hittite. So these women were from outside of Israel. So Matthew was already signaling that Jesus the Messiah has come from more than just Israel. That's important. We've also seen, though, in Tamar and, and Rahab, uh, Daryl, what we've uh, described as mm, difficult, awkward circumstances, some sexual things involved, uh, involving prostitution, and some uh, very curious choices. But today we come to Ruth, whose story is quite different, and she's probably the best known of these four women, partly because she's got a whole book of the Bible named after her. So she probably is the most known. And just to remind people where she comes up in Matthew, let's look at these verses in chapter one. Judah, the father of Perez, Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. Okay, uh, She is the great-grandmother of David. And that's a wonderful thing. But as we're going to see, Daryl, uh, Ruth's story could have turned out very, very differently. We are in the period of the judges. So, you know, and we know from the book of Judges that it was a time of lawlessness and violence, right? The tagline for judges is everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel. Everybody was doing their own thing. They weren't paying attention to God's law. They weren't living as a distinctive people. So it was a tough time. So in that time, they usually had a cycle. The cycle was we disobey and do whatever we want. And then the part that comes after that is that God sends this judgment 
coming through these other countries or coming in and fighting and conquesting them. And then they ask for help and repentance and God sends a judge. And then through that life of that judge, they are usually live a faithful life until that judge dies. And, uh, and then Ruth is coming up in this same context. And then we see that there's a famine in Israel going on at this time. So we see Elimelech, we got Naomi who are working to try to go through this famine situation in the country of Moab. And they're in this situation trying to feed themselves. So they got two sons. One of them married Orpah and the other married Ruth. But then they both end up dying. All the men die. So they go to Moab to find life because there's no food in Israel. They maybe find food, but they don't find life because uh, first the husband of Naomi dies and then both of her sons. So now we've got three widows. we got Naomi, a widow, Orpah's a widow, Ruth is a widow. So now there's nothing left for a Naomi in Moab. So she decides to go back home to Israel and specifically to her hometown in Bethlehem. And then we come to this part of Ruth chapter one. It's a pretty well-known passage. Uh, Naomi is heading home to Israel. And so her daughters-in-law are with her. She says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. They wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. When people say, may the Lord ever deal with me so severely, they are not playing, Scott. Right. They are serious. That is a commitment. Her loyalty shines through in this. Orpah just did what she did, but Ruth clung to her. And that line, your God will be my God, mm. your people, my people. I will be buried where you will be buried. I think that that connection is a very powerful, but you can see that that might be risky for Ruth to do, seeing that she's not an Israelite. All right. She's loyal. Uh, she's got good character. She's made of good stuff. She's loving. Nobody would have blamed Ruth one bit if she had just hightailed it back to Moab like Orpah did. But she wasn't going to abandon her mother-in-law. But right, it's a loving choice. It's a lovely choice, but it's a high-risk choice. Because in Israel, Ruth is going to be vulnerable on, on multiple fronts. Of course, we just mentioned that Ruth is from Moab. So she's a Moabite test. She's going into Israel. I don't think that they have good blood with the Moabites mm. at this point, one of the people they were fighting against. So they're supposed to treat foreigners well. I think they got something like that in the law that tells them they mm -hmm. need to treat people well. But they're not exactly very good at it. And the second thing is that she's a widow attached to another widow. So the, the husband or the son, the oldest son, is supposed to provide for the family. They have nobody providing for them in this situation. So she, there are so many things that are going against Ruth at this point, but she still decides to go with Naomi anyway. It's interesting, Daryl. You said, I think there's something in the law to protect these people. You're right. Uh, all over the law, right, in Leviticus. <laughs> and in fact, it's interesting that throughout the law in Israel, God repeatedly, and this comes up in the prophets later, including the minor prophets, but also Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Micah, they will assail Israel for not following God's law. And there's always this triplet called the Anawim in, in Hebrew, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. Those were the three categories, the widow, 
the orphan and the foreigner. Those were the most vulnerable members of society. And guess what? Ruth is all three. She's essentially an orphan. She's definitely a widow. And she's a foreigner. So she is triply threatened. She is triply vulnerable to abuse in Israel. So going back to Israel is a loving thing for Ruth to do. But they're going back with not great prospects for success. But in just a moment, we're going to see some glimpse of hope in this story. So stay tuned. Are you struggling to feel merry this Christmas? In the midst of hard times, we find strength and encouragement in God's Word. A set of 14 encouraging devotions from today reassure you that even during the darkest of Christmas seasons, you're not alone. Receive Devotions for a Blue Christmas, a free email series and ebook when you subscribe to today at todaydevotional.com slash bluechristmas. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And we are um, picking up the story of Ruth because she is a great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus, and therefore she's in Jesus' family tree in Matthew chapter 1, which is the basis of this Advent and Christmas series. And uh, we just said, uh, Daryl, that Ruth, accompanying Naomi back to Israel, is in a bad place. They're poor. They're dirt poor. They uh, are, are widows, which mean they are connected to no men. And in a patriarchal male-centered society, that's bad. Ruth is a foreigner from a country a lot of Israelites don't like, Moab. So they're in a tough place. But the very last verse of Ruth 1 tells us uh, something that gives us a glimmer of hope. It was the beginning of the barley harvest. In that particular passage, we're told actually by the law of the Lord that they're not supposed to go all the way to the corners because they need to leave some for the foreigner, the orphan, the widow. Number one, it keeps greed and gluttony out of their lives, but it also makes provision for those who don't have anyone who could go out and harvest for them. And so they have this provision that is in their law that they are supposed to do so that people like Naomi and Ruth can come in and have a place to glean. So they're actually getting set up to do this in chapter two. So farmers were basically ordered by God to be a little inefficient. Uh, Don't vacuum up your fields. Don't take all the grain. Leave a bunch uh, for the poor. Unfortunately, like a lot of things in God's law, near as we can tell, a lot of farmers didn't do that. They, they did vacuum up their fields. But Ruth is going to find her way uh, to a, a field of a, somebody we're going to find out later is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. His name is Boaz. And in Ruth 2, Naomi uh, is told by Ruth, my dear mother-in-law, we're going to starve to death. I'm going to go out and glean. And then we read in Ruth 2, uh, verse 2, Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out entered the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And you got to love that line, as it turned out. <laughs> as it turned out sounds like uh, oh, a turn of events. And guess who it's connected to? It's like a surprise. It's a twist in the story because readers know this is the God 
that we see who is the real main character of the story of the book of Ruth. When we were taught this story in kids, we were told God's the main character. Right. He's just not showing up in his name, but he's showing up by setting up these meetings, these happenstances that he's meeting. So the place where Ruth was actually going and it was field of Boaz's and that was something that God has set up intentionally. Right. He's the main character. There the are no coincidences. There are no uh, uh, random events in this story. The hidden hand of providence. It's sort of like in the other book of the Bible that bears a woman's name, Esther. God's never mentioned once in the book of Esther, and it's all God. It's the hidden hand of God's providence raising up Esther for such a time as this. Yes. And now God has led Ruth to exactly the right field. Boaz is a good man, and we sense that, starting in verse 8 here, Daryl, in Boaz's first interaction with Ruth. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Mm, so Ruth's reputation now precedes her. Uh, Boaz has gotten wind of this good, good, faithful Moabite woman. And so he's going to be kind to her. But we really need to pay attention to one thing Boaz said. He told his men not to lay a hand on Ruth. Now, why is that important? Because clearly Ruth was in danger of being raped. She was a foreigner. The people of that day would have regarded her as a throwaway kind of person. If a farmhand attacked her and raped her, he could be well assured he'd probably never, ever get in trouble for it. What, a foreign widow? Uh, who cares? I won't get in trouble for that. So it's telling and just a little chilling that Boaz has to say to her, I've warned my men not to touch you. Because without that warning, she might have been molested. So she's not a slave at this point, so she wouldn't be considered property, right, Scott? Right. But she is a foreigner. So because she came from another country, they probably could get away with it, which meant that Boaz was saving her physical life and safety by telling these other men not to touch her and not to lay hands on her. And and then later on in this story, we see that he continues to heap gifts upon Ruth and Naomi mm, yeah. and, and giving them way more than they asked for, more more grain that they needed and whatever they could actually produce. Um, and we see this in chapter three. And Naomi speaks by saying, Boaz, with whose women you have worked is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law 
told her to do. So she sees Naomi sees an opportunity exactly. here. So she's going to play matchmaker a little bit to see is, is Boaz interested in being married? Is he interested in having a relationship? Because this could turn into a situation where the provincial care can continue if they get married. Exactly. And so Naomi is hatching a plot and, you know, basically telling Ruth, make yourself as attractive as possible. You know, break out your best Estee Lauder, put it on, go down there <laughs> and uh, signal to Boaz, I'm interested in marriage, right? That's what she's saying. I, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to you. I want to get married to you. But there's one thing that we're going to find out that's a little bit of a glitch. There is somebody in line ahead of Boaz to inherit Elimelech's estate and therefore inherit Ruth, right? I mean, I hate to say it, that women kind of were part of the estate, but they were. Somebody else has a prior claim, and Boaz has to figure out a way to get rid of that guy if he's going to have any chance to marry Ruth himself. So he hatches a plan, and it works. The person in line ahead of him says, I can't deal with this. I don't want that Ruth person in my life. So you you may have her. And Boaz is like, well, okay, if you're sure. <laughs> and he's actually thrilled, of course. And then the story goes on into, into chapter four. So this is one of the best stories that we see in the Bible that it's kind of like, okay, this is Prince Charming. This is coming in with a happily ever after. But what is really redemptive about this story is that a woman who came from outside of Israel, this continued to be a part of Jesus's bloodline. But what does that have to do with today? We'll take that up in the next segment to wrap up the program. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Daryl, at the end of Ruth chapter 4, it's a four-chapter book, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. And then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So a happy ending there. But there we began this program saying that that happy ending came about because somebody like Boaz tended to the finer points of the law. And we mentioned that in New York City years ago, when they attended to the finer points of the law, not only did small crimes fall, big crimes fell. Sometimes it's really important to do the little things right. And it's interesting because in the New Testament, it says that if you keep the law at every point, but you break it at just one point, you're guilty of breaking the entire law. Hmm. So being able to understand that these finer points are as important as these major points and that it had a chain reaction in this story you had about New York, but also in the life of Boaz, who took care of the small things to make sure that he obeyed God. Exactly. Some of us maybe remember years ago in the 90s, the uh, the murder trial of the former football star O.J. Simpson. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that emerged in that trial is that the Los Angeles police 
broke a bunch of little rules. They just little protocols. They mishandled the evidence. They misfiled this. They stuck a vial of blood in their pocket and forgot about it. Just a whole bunch of little things. But all those little lapses added up to a huge problem, and the defense uh, was able to drive, you know, an aircraft carrier through it eventually. They were able to raise reasonable doubt because so many little rules got broken. Boaz kept what some might have regarded in Israel as a little rule, the gleaner law. Leave enough food for the poor and the widows and the orphans. And Boaz did that. And you know what? It led to something pretty good, like, you know, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. So Leviticus has a bunch of small laws in it. I, I think I was thinking of no men should wear pants or you shouldn't put two different fabrics together in the same stitch of clothing. Or, like all these little things that God did to make sure that people knew that he had a specific way he wanted the relationship to go because he was holy and he wanted his people to know how he wanted them to live. And Boaz is paying attention to these rules and how to treat people. Foreigners and immigrants and people who are widows, the three things, the orphan, oh, the, the Anawim, yeah. the Anawim, that is something that he took very special care to make sure that he did because most of Israel really got this wrong. Yep, they got very, very sloppy. And if Boaz had been sloppy like that, Ruth probably would have been killed or she would have died of starvation or she'd have been raped and we never would have heard of her. And she never would have become a great, 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 great grandmother uh, of Jesus and the great grandmother of King David. But she did. And it reminds you what Jesus said in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Who's ever dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And so Boaz was trustworthy with the little things, but you know, the, the little things add up to big things. And in this case, it not only saved Ruth's life, but contributed to the family line that led first to King David immediately, just in a couple generations, and then many generations later to Jesus. Again, when we lo- allow God's spirit to fill us up, and we live into the creation patterns that God has established as reflected in God's law, good things can and will happen. In this situation, the little things were the gleaning, making sure that that wasn't going all the way to the corners. But the thing that was much happened to be Jesus Christ himself. There's no better gift than the one that Advent where we're talking about the anticipation of the birth of our Savior. He is the gift that God has given to the world, to us. And thank God for the fact that Ruth was able to live faithfully in order for that to happen. Well, we see that God is blessing that effort. And so I think that it's important for us to know that when the scripture says whoever can be trusted with little could also be trusted with much, that we need to continue to be faithful in the little things that God has asked us to do. Maybe we need to be uh, show respect and love to those. And maybe we need to help those who have no voice to advocate Mm. and speak for them. And those people who have that less things or material things that we have abundance of, we could share with people because being in the situation where we're showing those kindnesses, you never know what God will do. Exactly. You know, we've we've mentioned, uh, Daryl, that in the story of Tamar, in the first program in the series, in the story of Rahab, in the second program, and in the next episode about Bathsheba, we've mentioned that these are stories that are kind of saturated with some sinfulness. And we've said that reminds us that, you know, you can't even tell Jesus' story without stumbling across all this sin. And that's a reminder that Jesus came to save us while we were yet sinners. And we said that in the last program as well. Ruth's story is a little different. Ruth's story is a reminder that when we lean into God's good patterns, like Boaz did, when we notice the people whom others don't notice, and right, the immigrants 
uh, immigrants to this day are often invisible people. They're just a category too often. You know, it's like years ago, there was this refugee crisis going on. And then there was this little boy, this little Turkish boy who drowned. And there was pictures of him all over the world laying on this beach with his little tennis shoes, you know, and he had a name. And now all of a sudden, these immigrants, these refugees had a name and they became more real. Well, Ruth had a name and, and Boaz didn't let her just be a generic foreigner, the, the other. He, he saw her and just did the right thing by God's law. In so doing, you know, he contributed to the story of the Messiah. And it's interesting that we see all over the Bible these requirements that God gives for how to live in a way that is just and live in a way that is righteous and to follow the laws that he has given. And those laws are, are grace to us because God didn't have to show us how we should live. But in order to be his representatives on earth, we get these examples all over. There's one here in Micah chapter six, verse eight. It says, he has shown you a mortal what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I mean, ABC, that's exactly what we need to do. It's just simple faithfulness over the long haul. It's love and mercy and humility. And at Christmas, we celebrate uh, what such basic things can bring about. And you know what it brings about, Daryl? It brings about nothing less than joy to the world. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue our study of the women in Jesus' genealogy by looking at Bathsheba's story. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you, or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. <laughs>